Don't frazzle my sh- It's the Woodworking Morning Show. Hey, hey, hey. How you guys doing? How you 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 doing? Well, it's the uh, woodworking show that we do on occasion these days. Uh, yeah. Because <laughs> when we skip a show, now it's skipping two weeks. Yeah. Right? Well, if we miss a show. I was going to move forward, but then I was like, you were a little overwhelmed. So I just yeah, well, I let it ride. We had a, a crazy couple of weeks filming at Mike Farrington's shop. Todd, our editor and videographer, was here filming. Once we finished there, then we came back and we built a workbench, which I'll talk about in a couple of seconds. Um, it was just a super busy time and very difficult to pull this show off, but we are glad to be here tonight. I need to get myself a footstool. I don't like... Oh, well, I, I took your fan away. I don't that's like... Why. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not liking where my feet go. Well, that's, <laughs> that's a shame. Uh, well, by the way, I'm Mark. And I'm Nicole. And this is the, uh, the woodworking show that we do. What's the name of the show now? Just it's The Wood Whisperer Live. Live. Yeah. It's just a live show. We're here to answer questions in the chat room, also from Patreon, as well as uh, a YouTube post I put up for the YouTube members. Yeah. So. Yep, good stuff. Uh, you know what? I can show you the bench if you guys want to see it real quick. My foot is like, I'm like trying to put my foot like on the little ledge. Oh, you know what? Maybe I can't because I don't see the uh, the other the other camera's not showing what up. Ha- they both went off right before we went live. Uh, I know. Let me see if I could do it while we're... <laughs> Troubleshoot this live in front of a bunch of people. Um, nope, that's not it. There it is. Oh, there it is. Look, I fixed it too. Hey, there's like my foot. Uh, so there's the new workbench. Looks a little bit like the old one. It is kind of a uh, smaller Rubo, you know, sort of influenced. The core of it is still a split top Rubo, uh, but there are definitely some differences, including less expensive vice hardware and round dog holes. You guys can't see it from your vantage point there, but I've. Uh, Actually, use the uh, the origin, Shaper origin to create a little TWW inlay on the top there. Uh, it's going to be a little bit smaller, a little bit lighter. You can see Nicole's overhang over here is not as long as it used to be, yeah. so she doesn't <laughs> like, know what to do now. Uh, I did make mine out of cherry, and I did make it as well as you could see to fit that cabinet because I really did not want to give that cabinet up. And I wanted to make sure it fit in this one as well. You see all of my new stickers that I put on for the kids that come see me in the library. Oh, yeah. People love that. <laughs> Over here, this is a outlet. Check that out. So you got a little uh, spring-loaded flappy jappy there. Boom. Right? And this way you keep all the dust and liquid out of there. And, uh, of course, this thing is mobile. And it is also knockdown, uh, meaning like the side subassemblies are, are glued together. Isn't but anything, everything's pretty much knocked down if you just hit it hard enough. You hit it hard enough, enough <laughs> technically, but can you put it back together? Yeah, that's true. That's the question. <laughs> so uh, if you just use the little bolts in there, you undo them, you could take the rails off, the two top slabs come off separately, and then you have the side subassemblies that are glued together. So um, it is portable, movable, light, uh, fairly inexpensive. And the build itself in the guild is also inexpensive. I wanted that to be part of making this as accessible as possible. So if you pre-order the project now, it is 30 bucks in the guild, mm, which yeah. is super duper cheap considering the price of our other workbench yeah, project. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so if you guys are interested When's in When's it supposed to be released? December 3rd. December 3rd. That's when the videos come out. So if you get it now, uh, you know, between now and December 3rd, you get that low, low price. Yeah. And uh, I reserve the right to raise the price even more than it currently is set to, depending on what <laughs> once, I see. Yeah, once you go through all yeah, once of the, the videos. Yeah, once the pre-orders are done, and yeah, we'll see, we'll see what the actual project really looks like when it's all said and done, but I think you guys are gonna like it. Um, the feature I can't really show you right now is this modular insert here. I had a split top on my last bench, and all we really used it for uh, was clamping, and then also using the gap stop as a plain stop. And I thought we could do something more than that. So now it's this sort of modular track where you could build things to put in there and slide them back and forth. Like I've got a magnifying glass light on one of those little boom arm dealies. Uh, I've got a little chisel rack that we put in there. Sky's the limit. Whatever you might want access to on your workbench, you can kind of utilize that slot now. So 
Super fun. Um, and then the Hollister uh, Credenza by Jory. Yeah, and I had a video, but it's not quite done yet. Okay. Uh, Todd is putting the finishing touches on it, but we'll tell you more about that uh, coming up here soon. But Jory also has his Hollister Credenza in the guild. It's available for pre-order right now. His project releases sooner than mine does. Mine is all the way in December. I can't remember his exact date, but it's much sooner. Um, so go check that out as well. And again, next next show, we'll give you a little bit more information on the Hollister. We'll have a preview party too. Nice. A nice little viewing party on that one. Uh, what was the other thing? Um, Robert Price did a super chat and said, what's happening to the old bench? Uh, it's currently sitting over there. It's sitting on a set of furniture dollies um, in our way. So the kids can almost hit their heads on it on their way to school in the mornings. <laughs> it's, uh, I think what we're probably going to do is auction it off and donate the proceeds to charity. Oh, is that what you decided? Uh, that's where my head is at right now. Okay. I mean, that could change, but I don't know what else I would do with it. Yeah. Well. I want to make sure. There's two, two ways you can go about this. You can do like a full-on giveaway. And just try to find someone who really needs a workbench and get them a workbench. That yeah. makes you feel good, right? Uh, or you can do an auction, which means people with lots of money. Someone with lots of money is going to get the yeah. bench, but then that money goes to charity. And they can <sighs> use it for what they need it for. And they can use it for what that charity needs it for. Yeah. So it's, it's a little bit of a catch-22. I don't mm -hmm. know what's, what's really better, but I'm leaning more toward uh, the charity side of things. Uh, okay, and I also wanted to let you guys know, tomorrow, if you're in the Denver area, uh, Eric from Make a Wood Sign is doing his Denver Road Show, and basically it's a little meetup demo slash training thing. In at, Erie, right? Yeah, Erie, Colorado, Coal Miner Park under the big shelter with park benches from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. tomorrow, October 16th. Um, they stopped by today mm -hmm. uh, to say hi in the shop. Always good to see those guys. Um, but this is just for free. He's just doing a demo. And if you're not familiar with Eric, he does um, hand-rounded signs. Mm -hmm. And he He's made one for us up here. Right up you there. can't see it, but it's up there. Um, really talented individual, does great work. And he's just traveling the country What's his and channel? doing his demos. What's his channel? Make a Wood Sign on Make Instagram. A, make a Wood Sign. But I think his channel has like Old, Old Dave or something like that is the official name but anyway make a wood sign on instagram if you want to uh see what they're up to uh and the last thing i wanted to do which actually is normally the first thing we do is thank some people who help oh, yeah. support the show uh either at patreon that's patreon.com slash wood or on youtube with the little subscription thing that you could do there um it's been a month so we have a few bear with me uh <laughs> les delancey cindy cunningham mark lowendorf uh daniel kirkhart marlon horton David Lee Archibald, Jay at Jeshu 80, just gonna make that a word, Travis Webster, um, Oselli 66, Tom LeSurf, Jeremiah, Marvin Godfrey, Robert Stewart, Sam P, Mark Fetterman, Ra Ronan, and Anthony Spamini. Spamini. Oh, thank you, everybody. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, supporting the show means a whole lot to us, but uh, you don't have to do it. Just showing up and watching is uh, what we really ask you to do. Um, and tell your friends about it. That's always cool, too. So I've got questions mm -hmm. pre-selected from and I um, have supporters. Nicole is pulling questions directly from the live chat room. So if you're here, she might be able to grab your question. And uh, let's get it on, shall hey, we? Ben, before you start, Ben Bodner's in the chat. Oh. And he says, congratulations on your fitness and health pro progress. You will always be my, be my sugar. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you, Ben. I uh, almost did a spit take, but I have a lot of expensive stuff right Yeah, yeah, me. that would have been good. And then Can't the show would have been take. over and it would have been your there fault. There have been multiple times on this show that for comedy's sake, <laughs> I just wanted to do one of those crazy spit takes. Yeah. But I think you would get mad at me. You might get mad at me. If you spit on me, yeah, I would probably get mad at uh, you. Well, I guess I would go this way okay. with it. Well, thank you, Ben. I appreciate that, man. <laughs> uh, all right, so all right. shall we get to the questions? Yep. Dave. Dave Satanto says, when, uh, when can I pre-purchase the Kumiko lamp? It's the exact thing that my wife not only wants, but wants to make with me. Well, that's super cool. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Mike Farrington, I just mentioned him at the top of the show. We went to his shop, we filmed there, um, but you know, Guild Projects have a turnaround time, and we already had a couple of projects slotted for the end of the year, which means I think we're looking at Mike Farrington's Kumiko lamp as an early 2022 release. Mm -hmm. So I wish I could say it was happening sooner, but uh, you know, there's only a few of us here making these videos happen, so it, it takes a little bit of time. It's all filmed. Uh, it is indeed. Neil Becker is in the chat, and he's been a YouTube member for 12 whole months. Have we been doing that? <laughs> <laughs> We've been doing that for 12 months? 
Neil. Uh, it's his birthday tomorrow too. Oh, happy so birthday, happy Neil! Happy birthday, and thanks for being a YouTube member. Well, thanks for member. Uh, being a member for twelve months. You got a spit take out of me, so there's that. <laughs> I can't believe I just did that. Uh, Kurt Allen wrote, he says, I have to round an edge profile, chamfer or round over, on the front of the top of a writing desk I'm building for my niece. She may want to add the same profile to the sides, but wants to see the front only first. If she opts to do the sides as well, what's the best strategy, given that I'd be rounding end grain and may see some tear out at the exit of the cut? Normally, I do the sides and end grain first with a backer board to avoid tear out, but the front profile is already cut, um, will already be cut. Thanks for your help. Well, how big is this profile, Kurt? Um, with a good sharp bit, yeah, sometimes you get, you know, tear out with end grain, but on most species and most projects, um, unless you're putting like a heavy duty cut on there, it's not like the tear out's automatic. It's something that could happen, but I mean, most of the time with a good sharp bit, I don't really think too much about that. So it may not be a problem, but there's nothing wrong with being a little bit cautious about it. So uh, what I would say is simply take small passes and small bites. Don't go right to whatever your final you know, dimension is, work your way down and each time you just get closer and closer. Uh, you also can get into the habit of laying off the very end of the cut. I mean, you're just talking about a chamfer or a roundover that's super easy to continue. So if you just stay a quarter inch away from the edge, go all the way in and stop, you can just use hand tools or sanding to finesse that in and make it look the same, make it match the rest of the profile. Um, you could also get into a little bit of climb cutting if you wanted to, get into the corner, sort of work your way back. That takes a little bit more manual dexterity and a little bit of practice. I hesitate to say it because it's generally not something we recommend, but it can be done. That's something I've done in the past. <clears throat> Doug says, how come Mr. Whisper keeps looking a little older, but Mrs. Whis Whisper never changes? Oh, I change. <laughs> I change. I also dye my hair. <laughs> I think that's a big part of it. I just think it's because you're gorgeous. Oh, <laughs> story. Thank you. Um, where did I? Go? Okay, Jeff Barry. I hope all is well with you and the family. I'm going to be making a knife block for some extra knives I've acquired for recent family changes. Um, oh, with recent family changes. What What is the best wood to use for a knife block? I remember you made one that was filled with wooden skewers. Skewers. But I was going to try something a little more traditional. You know, for a knife block, Jeff, I'm not sure it matters what you make it out of. Um, a knife block doesn't usually engage with the blades. It's really meant to kind of suspend the blade inside of a safe space. Um, it, you know, if you make it nice and tight and it, you know, is one that actually guides the blade through, it's still really not something that's coming in contact with the blade very much. Um, so all you have to really worry about is can it withstand, I guess, the handle of the knife when it makes contact and it fully seats in there? And any wood can do that. So I would just go with any decent hardwood or any wood you want to look at. I mean, it's going in the kitchen, in uh, your kitchen, right? So what, what would look good in there? Um, I think you can't go wrong with, you know, the clean domestic species, your, your maple, walnut. Um, I, I don't know how much I'd worry about it. I mean, you only put clean knives in there. So I was thinking, do you want to go with an open poured species just for foodborne issues? But again, you're putting a clean knife in there that's a, dr a dry and clean knife. Um, I just don't think there's too much to worry about. Got a super chat right there. I'm a giddy. see it, green? From Gambler. From the Gambler? Kenny Rogers? I've watched yeah. some of your videos for a long time. First time watching live. Keep being awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you, Kenny. That was really nice of you. Really nice of you. And now I'm going to sing a Kenny Rogers song just for you. You, you got to know when to hold them. No when to fold them. When to fold them. <laughs> Right. Um, <laughs> Black Goat Woodworking says, do you have a go-to, this is what happens when we don't do a show for a month. Gets a little nuts in here. And neither one of us is either drunk or medicated, uh, which is true. amazing. Yeah, yeah. I actually thought about having a beer before the show and yeah. I told Nicole, I'm like, that's such wasted calories. Got a pumpkin pie. I got a pie in there. If I'm going to be like putting stupid calories <laughs> in my body, it's not going to be for a dumb beer. I'm going to go have some pie. <laughs> Just the way my brain works. Uh, Black Goat Woodworking says, do you have a go-to drawer slide brand? Planning to build the MFT cart and assembly table projects and didn't know if you had a preferred brand as I have been less than satisfied with the big box brand, soft closed ones. Yeah, don't go there. Um, I think two of the brands that are kind of your top tier, what I mean by top tier, maybe not necessarily best quality, but definitely ones that you hear about a lot uh, would be like Bloom or Accuride. Uh, both of those have always treated me well in the past. If you shop online, you might be able to find a better price. Um, custom service hardware, CSH, is a great place to get some decent uh, prices on hardware. There may be better prices out there. 
Um, there also may be a ton of other brands, people who do cabinetry uh, and have to buy this stuff by the box because they go through a lot of it will have a better answer for you on this. Um, but that's my answer as someone who doesn't really use that kind of hardware that often. Bloom and AccuRide are both great brands. Uh, chat room, help me out here. If some of you um, in there are actual like cabinet makers, you do this all the time. What's a good brand? Um, somebody that he could, uh, you know, go get some hardware from. I got a question here from Two Brothers Gaming. If I, if I own no hand planes, what are a few good hand planes to start with? Kind of Jack depends. Plane. <laughs> Jack plane. Jack plane. Depends on what you want to do. Um, when when you talk about hand tools, there's kind of two directions you can go. One is I just want to be a hand tool woodworker. Um, I want to be a you know a woodwright shop, Roy Underhill or Shannon Rogers or whoever. Um, that is a different question or a different answer, I guess I should say, than if you are more like me, where I've got a lot of power tools. I love my power tools. I'll keep using my power tools, but I've got a strategic set of hand tools that help assist with the kind of work that I do. So you're not going to find me using things like, you know, the planes that assist in milling the lumber, uh, getting it flat and getting it prepped for, you know, joinery and things like that. I've got other tools that do that just fine. So, you know, most of my stuff is going to be focused on fine details and joinery. Um, so that's really what it comes down to. My book, if you had a chance to get a copy, it's... Um, What's it called? What's the name of that one? Hybrid Woodworking. Hybrid Woodworking. Uh, is available at twwstore.com, also on Amazon and other places. Um, he signs it, though. If you if buy, you buy it from, from us, us, we sign them. You pay more for it, them. but I do sign them all. Um, that lays out a whole bunch of uh, the tools that I recommend. And again, it's, it's, it's coming from the perspective of someone from a power tool background. Um, but if you go to, um, uh, like, Shannon's website, uh, Renaissance Woodworker, Watch the way Shannon does what he does, and you're going to see a different set of tools there. Now, when he gets into joinery phases, you might see that crossover. Uh, but when you're talking about milling and someone, you know, hitting the surface with a, uh, what do you call it? What's, what's the one that's really rough? I always think plow plane, but that's not what it's called. Plane plane? No, no, it's the one with the little scoopy blade on it. I bought uh, one by accident. Super blade? I don't remember the name. I don't know. But it's for super rough cuts. You take very, very heavy passes. Rough blade? And then you might go to like a number seven or a number eight, a really long sold plane to kind of just smooth and flatten everything out. And then you work your way to like a number four for smoothing. Um, there's a whole process with all these different planes that if you have power tools, you just don't really need them unless, unless you want them. He says, thank you for the answer. Scrub plane. Thank you. I don't know why my brain always says plow, because I, I always think you're plowing through the wood when gotcha. you do it, but it's yeah. a scrub plane. Thank you, guys. Got a question here from Ben's Woodcrafts. Do mm -hmm. you have any videos on why I should get a workbench versus just using an MFT table like I do now? No. <laughs> okay. I mean, <laughs> if you're fine with it, why would I want to convince you otherwise? Yeah. Unless you want to spend $30 and get a plan to my bench. <laughs> no, I mean, seriously, if you're happy with the MFT and it's doing it for you, Awesome. When it isn't, start looking at other options. Um, a, a classic workbench is going to be heavier. Uh, if you're going to get more into hand tools, you need something that's not going to, you know, rack and move like a folding table tends to. Um, the MFT is great, but it's not perfect in that regard. Um, but if it's if it's doing everything you need it to do, man, like uh, don't look for people to convince you. Um, just be happy using the MFT. You okay. caught up. What? You caught up? No. What do you mean caught up? Like wh where? You when you're looking for your questions. No, I know where I'm at. Okay. Andy says, any suggestions or tips for gluing thin boards into a panel? I'm gluing up three boards about three and a quarter inch wide, 13 long, but only about a quarter inch to three eighths in thickness. Um, okay, so basically thin panels. Well, if you can't get these onto a set of like um, Jet or Bessie, you know, style cabinet clamps, because uh, those usually, you you know, the bar makes a nice platform. You could rest it on there, start applying light pressure. You don't want to apply too much because a thin panel like that, you could easily buckle. So a lot of times what I'll do is take the outside clamps and I'll just get a small clamp and clamp right at the joint. So clamp the panel to the bar itself and that kind of helps it, you know, prevents it from buckling, which is really what you're worried about. You put too much pressure and it just goes bloop. The other thing you can do is go on a flat surface. So if you put down some paper or wax paper onto a flat surface, Put your panels down, join them together, then get whatever clamps you want to use. Put them on top, get them onto the surface. Um, I've got some Bessie, oh, what are they called? Are they the bar clamps? 
super heavy duty with the big handle on the outside. They are great because they kind of curve, or not curve, but they angle in just a little bit. So if you're doing a very thin panel, you could really, when you get that thing on top, you could really get down and put a lot of pressure onto a very thin panel. But it's essential that you do the same thing I mentioned before. You get some kind of a call and put that on top of the boards and put pressure down, once again, to prevent that thing from buckling. We've got a fly in here. Yeah, I know. I see it. Shoe fly. Don't bother me. Yoso. Yoso. Um, how do you put chamfers on the end grain of plywood? My bit is still sharp, but it's tearing out horribly when I try to cut chamfers on the end grain of plywood veneer. Uh, Baltic birch, so no thin veneer. Uh, it's small passes. We talked about this earlier with another question. You just got to take light passes. Um, plywood is going to be a little bit of a challenge because you have crisscrossing grain. So there is technically no plywood end grain because it's all a mixture of end grain and essentially side grain, right? So one layer is going to be, uh, you know, nice and clean and the next layer is probably going to chip out. That's really hard to prevent in plywood. So the best you could do is just take it slow. And if you know you have a good sharp bit, uh, take light passes, work your way down. And uh, I would also tell you to lower your expectations. <laughs> I hate to say that, but mm -hmm. honestly, sometimes that's what it takes. Got a question here from Tommaso. Tommaso. Uh, any issues with buying the plan and then helping others build it in my shop? I'm pushing the guild pretty heavily, and it should. And should they buy the plans? So he wants to teach other people how to build the, the. Yeah, how does that work? I mean. So he's going to use the, you yeah. know, the. <laughs> He's going to use the instructional material yeah. to convey that information yes. to another set of people. The great thing is they probably can't see the fly. Yeah. And we just look crazy. <laughs> Random karate moves in the middle of the show. Tommaso, uh, do what you want, man. Um, if you've got access to a set of plans and you want to help some people out in the shop, that's fine. If you want to make a habit of doing this and you're going to do it a lot, maybe we should talk about some way to make it easier for you and to, to make it make sense. But it sounds like this is just like probably mm -hmm. just a one-time thing and you want to help some people out, um, you know, it's on us. Yeah. <laughs> Put it that way. If you're helping <laughs> other people and, and they're having a good time, and now everyone's going to go to Tommaso's house and ask for refunds. <laughs> Tommaso, hey, can you uh, help me build this? Hey, I was hoping I could come over. I heard Saturday. you had that project. Yeah, you got that project, right? <laughs> okay, Mark Wida says... Wida. Wida. When making a batch of cutting boards or... Charcuterie boards. <laughs> Should you wait to coat any leftovers of keeping them in storage until you sell them? In other words, is it okay to store them with oil and beeswax for an extended period of time? Honestly, Mark, I would say it would be inadvisable to not do that. Um, the whole point of the wax and the oil is to, you know, prevent absorption of moisture, to kind of stabilize the board to some extent. You may have to like recoat it after it's done, but I actually would highly recommend you oil them, wax them and then put them in storage that way. I think they are much, going to be much less susceptible to problems if you have them finished than if you put them in there raw. I suppose if you had a whole stack of them and then you, you know, wrapped them together and um, not shrink wrapped, stretch wrapped them, maybe it doesn't really matter. It's going to be in an enclosed sort of uh, situation. It might be fine, especially if they're like all stacked on top of each other. They can't exactly breathe that way. But I still would say just finish them, put the oil and wax on there. And then, you know, the other good thing is they require minimal work when you have to pull them out uh, to, to sell them or do whatever you're going to do with them. Uh, Connell right in the chat room mm -hmm. uh, says, I'm planning to ebonize my oak benchtop with vinegar and steel wool. Can you think, Look of, at you think of any potential problems that might cause? Is that, does that work? Yeah. No. Um, well, okay, so let's step back. It's a chemical stain process, yeah. right? Um, if you do the vinegar steel wool thing, you make a mixture, can't remember exactly what it is, like nitric acid or something that reacts with the, the tannins in the oak. Um, the only thing I would be concerned about is maybe it's going, it could, there could be some inconsistency in how That's it looks a, on the yeah, surface. I think. And as someone who frequently gets made fun of for having stained his bench, in the past, uh, depending on what your reasons for doing it are, uh, it may not be a great idea. Uh, Did you stain this one? Oh, no. That's saying, why I went with cherry for this one. really pretty. I wanted to age, and as it ages, it's going to get a little bit darker. It's already darker than maple, but I wanted something that wasn't as bright 
color. And maybe that's what he's after as well. Um, so honestly, I mean, if you put some finish on there, I don't know, maybe something might you scuff it up. You might get a little bit of color transfer uh, at some point. But I mean, with a chemical stain like that, it's not like you're putting a dye on there so or you, a pigment. So Tommaso said you dissolve the still wool in the vinegar? You put the steel wool in the vinegar and then it just kind of reacts over oh. time. You could put like rusty nails in there. Oh, interesting. There's all kinds of ebonizing things you can do. Yeah. Hmm. I, I mean, I don't... Other than the obvious of like, hey, why is this person staining their workbench? It's just funny because I did that too. So mm -hmm. who am I to talk? Yeah. But ultimately, it's still going to work just fine. It's a workbench. Beat it up. Have fun with it. Make it black. Make it purple. Weston, Weston wants to know, why is it so common for woodworkers to sharpen their own chisels, but so uncommon for them to sharpen their own saws? Um, well, if you ask Shannon, he'll tell you that's a travesty, that we don't <laughs> sharpen our own saws. Um, I think because the set of tools you use to sharpen a set of chisels also applies to plane blades. So now you're covering two you know, major mm -hmm. categories of things that we use all the time. I think if you look at someone who is a dedicated hand tool user, there's a good chance they do sharpen their own hand saws. Um, hearing Shannon talk about it, if you have the right tools and you're you know, patient, it's actually not that difficult to do unless you get into some really advanced filings. Um, but So I don't know. I mean, I can't speak for other people. I don't do it just because my hand saw usage is so limited um, that if I need that thing sharpened, yeah, you bet I'm going to send it out to someone else. But if I was using my hand saw as much as I use my chisels and plane blades, I very well might look into sharpening those um, just to save some money and just to have that skill set. Hmm. Maybe, and I guess to answer your question, probably because they think it's harder than it is. Right. You know? Ben Price. I just got my dust collector delivered yesterday, and I was wondering if you have any resources that I should look at before putting in my ductwork. Well, I got two for you. One is a very easily digestible article at Wood Magazine. I'll put the link. Um, I shouldn't put it in the chat. Can I? Should put, I? Yeah, put both of them in the chat. Can I just copy and paste yeah, both at the same yeah, time? Yeah, I think so. Let's see. Maybe. We'll find out. <laughs> Did it work? Uh, it's just a whole bunch of links. Oh, so yeah, one at a time. <laughs> I'm just going to put it in the show notes. Okay. So one is this Wood Magazine article that's basically telling you like mistakes to avoid when it comes to uh, dust collection. That's kind of the biggest thing. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't make a hard 90 degree turn. Uh, don't, um, don't reduce down too frequently, too quickly uh, in terms of uh, reducing down in diameter. There's a bunch of things on that list. Go check that out. If you want a really deep dive, go to BillPence.com. That's Bill, P-E-N-T-Z.com. It's an old website. Looks like an old website. It's the, Bill Pence is the guy who came up with a specific design that Clearview Cyclones actually uses for their uh, cyclones. And it's a deep website. And there's a lot of research on there. There's a lot of I'm going to say fear-mongering. I mean, it's good information, but that's the kind of website that after you read it, you might walk away going, you know what? Knitting sounds real fun. <laughs> quilting. Yeah, quilting sounds great. <laughs> because it's, it's definitely one that, like, Bill had some health problems. He got into researching this stuff heavily um, so that he can get to the bottom of, like, what makes wood dust dangerous and how do we prevent it. But sometimes when you start to look at the numbers and the requirements, you go, why even bother? Like, there's no way I'm going to get the, the proper amount of air movement at the tool that he recommends. Just take it with a grain of salt when you read it, um, because there are good guidelines that you can follow. I just wouldn't stress too much about the, the heavy-duty details that that site goes into. So that's, that's my thoughts on it. We have a super chat from Les <clears throat> Delancey. Okay. It's a four-part question. Oh, <laughs> He's like, sorry job. about that. <laughs> Um, so I, I copied it all. Uh, he's using Rubio to, uh, I use Rubio pre-color easy to, in intense black and uh -huh. on a red oak tabletop at the client's request. Okay. It looked great and I let it dry for 48 hours before applying finish. I applied Rubio Monocoat in pure. Mm -hmm. When I came back a few hours later, there were a few small spots of gooey finish I grabbed a blue shop paper, paper towel and gently buffed those spots. When I did this, the color lifted, and now those spots are brown. All the color is gone. Um, do you have any idea what could have happened? More importantly, I didn't get the rest of it. <laughs> Not <laughs> so I really. I mean, my usage of Rubio is really limited to 
Natural um, wood, yeah. Well, they're pure, and if I do a color, it's not the pre-color stuff that they have, or the easy something or other color. It's the stuff like their um, walnut-colored regular Rubio, right? So it's just a one-coat application. If you had a, like, a schmutzy area, like, I got it. sounds to me almost like it, you didn't wipe all the material away. But if you've applied Rubio before, you probably did, right? You, you know that you have to wipe mm -hmm. off all the excess. So that is something I could see happening if all the excess was not wiped up, then you have this area that isn't quite curing and it just kind of leaches back out. So what was the wood? So um, it is a red oak table. And, and, more, and basically this is the fourth part. Any suggestions on how to fix it without sanding the whole thing to bare wood? Oh, man, when you have that color lift like that, that's a nightmare to spot fix. Um, I don't know enough about the pre-color materials. You know, I would hope... See, because the whole thing about Rubio is it's supposed to be easy to repair. So that's why I like the one coat colors where it's already mixed in. Mm -hmm. Because if I scratch it and I need to repair it, I can use that same exact material to fix it. But when you put Pure on top of their other material, can you simply just go back and hit it with a little bit more of the colored material and then come back once again with Pure? That's what I would try first. But I would also contact them. Um, they're, oh, they, yeah. You know, they know way, obviously, they know their products. Uh, they know way more than I know about this, and I don't really use their coloring agents very much, so I don't have a great answer for you. Uh, but this does seem like something in the world of Rubio, you should be able to fix that without too much trouble, because how is that any different than somebody, you know, put something on there, you got a wine stain or something on this table, and you need to spot repair that? Well, the whole point of Rubio is a repairability. You should be able to just reapply some of the products and get it looking new. So if not, I'd be pretty disappointed in that. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you guys something. I got a couple of emails from Rubio competitors recently, and I even wrote them and said, hey, are these guys legit? Are they just completely ripping you off? What's the deal? And they said, no, I mean, they're, they're legit. It's, they're not our favorite companies. <laughs> they didn't say <laughs> not that. My, not my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't say that, though. Um, but they are legit companies. So two of them. One is not just... A, it, it looks like a blatant ripoff because they're using the same color scheme mm -hmm. as Rubio, all the same terminology, almost like they lifted the terminology directly from Rubio's site. The other one is a company that actually has been around for a while, and I'm not going to name these companies until I have some material that I can play with, um, but one of them has a UV curing oil. It's a hard wax oil. Now, I've heard of UV curing finishes mm -hmm. before. It's an awesome process. They put the finish on, you run over a UV light over the surface, and it's cured. It's done. I just didn't know you could do that with a hard wax oil, a zero VOC hard wax oil. That sounds super cool. So they contacted us and I said, samples, please. And, samples. and send me one of them, their lights. <laughs> so I could start uh, curing my finish. Anyway, that total aside, but that's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. Okay, Brian Thorpe. Nope, Devin Perkins. Says, uh, making a medium-sized memory box for my son. It's nine inches square, four inches tall. I ended up using a solid wood panel for the top and bottom and captured them in rabbits. The only problem is that I somehow made the bottom panel just a hair too thin and it rattles. Is there an easy way to fix it? The box is all glued up now. Um, or is this just a character feature? Well, I'm going to tell you a trick that I learned from one Daryl Peart. Oh, yes. You may not want to do this. It's a little bit goofy, but it works so good. Would you pull it's them It's my hair. It's all over the place. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's because you don't age. You just yeah. lose hair. I just lose hair. That's mm. why it keeps me young. That's right. <laughs> She's shedding years with each hair. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Daryl, having worked in, you know, manufacturing and, you know, there's certain things that are done there that as like fine woodworkers you might look at and go, that seems odd. But it works. It's a really effective solution. So they take their drawers, flip them over, and then run a bead of hot milk glue right on the panel where the panel meets the groove that it's into. You run that along the sides and the back. Well, you could run it all four sides. It's fine. But that will actually immobilize the panel, and it gets rid of any of that hollow sound. There's mm -hmm. a night and day difference. If you tap on a drawer that has that treatment versus one that doesn't, one sounds like a drum, and the other just sounds like a thud. Um, so that's one thing that you can do. You also, if you you know really wanted to get nitpicky about it you could just get some veneer i don't know how big your gap is but you could always put some veneer and shove that with glue into the panel and into that groove if that's thin enough to to do the job a lot of times you could just take scraps and go to go to the table saw 
and just make it so that, you know, you're just taking out a paper thin shaving. So make your rip cut and what's left is this little paper thin thing and just break it into pieces, a little bit of glue, you could shove it in there. It's on the box bottom. So if it doesn't look perfect, I don't think it's a huge deal and you wouldn't need to do the whole thing. You just need a couple of spots would probably immobilize the panel. Okay, man, we got so many questions. I know. I'm trying to get through them. I know. I got questions too. That's what happens Look when you take a, take a week off or a month off. A month off. <laughs> uh, I'm going to read mine. John P uh, Peterson. It's getting warm in here. Um, new guy with a stupid question. Shopping at my local lumber store, maple boards have a 4.4 and 3s drawn on them. What are these codes? 4.4 equals moisture? Well, it's definitely not going to be the moisture. 4.4? No. 4.4. The length, maybe? Four quarter? Yeah. Maybe that's their the nomenclature for four quarter, which is a thickness. thickness designation. But the three, the three S is probably uh, surface three sides, mm. but you'll usually, the most common way to express that is three um, S3S and S4S, surface three sides, surface four sides. But you know what? Every lumber yard might be doing something mm -hmm. different just because Joe's just a lumber guy. Them. You can ask them. Yeah. What does this mean? A lot of times, though, I'll pick up pieces of wood, even at Austin Hardwoods. It'll have crap written on it, and I don't know what it means. Mm -hmm. I don't. It, it's it's meaningless to me. But maybe, the, bo maybe the board feet. Gazang said maybe the board feet. If it's sold, yes. That's if you're buying in a, like. Um, usually not when you have a stack of lumber, but if you're buying in the kind of place that has the lumber vertical and you're kind of picking through the boards, they will pre-measure the boards. And write the measurement on there, so when mm -hmm. the person is checking everybody's you out, saying it's the board feet. They just do the math. So good, good, good job, guys. You guys <laughs> want to host the show? You're doing a better job than I am. <laughs> but that's a quick way for the person to check you out uh, if they don't have to actually measure the boards. Because when I check out inside the warehouse, it's like a ten minute process. You mm -hmm. walk up there with a big cart of lumber, and that guy's out there doing the math. He's got the little stick. He's doing his thing. It's nice if the numbers on there. Yeah. Okay, torsion hinges. Brian Thorpe wants to know, uh, you use them on a blanket chest. Can they also be used on a steamer trunk? And if so, how would you make the lid flat? Well, here's the problem with torsion hinges. As designed, they're not mortised. So they sit on the back and they, you know, the thickness of the hinge itself raises the back up. And that's a little bit of a problem. You will, at the front, if the lid closes, you wind up having your lid just slightly tilted. If that's a big problem, so only two things I can imagine you can do. One is to use, um, I've done this before, you get those little clear rubber sticky nubbins and you put those under there that lifts the front up. It's also kind of nice because it stops the lid from making a banging sound, um, but you, it kind of just balances it out. So now you have a gap that's all the way around. The other thing you could do is mortise them in. The problem is they're, the way Rockler produces them, they are finished. They are meant to be surface mounted. So you can mortise them but they look a little bit weird when they're mortised because they're kind of just eased on the edges and that would then go into your mortise, your squared mortise area. So it's not my favorite way to do it, but you technically could lower them a little bit. I really wish they would come up with like a mortisable version of the torsion hinges because who the heck wants that gap in there? I mean, I guess it's, if you shove your kids in there or something and you want them to still be able to breathe, it's a good safety feature. But outside of that, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Rich. How you doing? I'm good. Okay. Uh, Rich Eklund says, <laughs> I was cleaning my shop up and realized that there is a fine coat of dust everywhere. I got a good dust collection system and an air cleaner. I think the majority of this is coming from the top of my table saw. I've seen you with the overarm dust collection for tabletop dust collection, but I don't see you using it often. Would you recommend getting one? Is that handle moving? Mm -hmm. I don't know. It hasn't moved since I looked I at it. Okay. I thought I heard something. Uh, what are its strengths and weaknesses, or should I give give in and wear my mask 100% of the time in the shop? Um, I, I wear my mask almost 100% of the time in the shop, mm -hmm. but I'm a little bit crazy. My overarm guard, they, first of all, they don't make it anymore. It's called the Brett Guard. It was made by HTC. The problem with it is it's it's a little shallow square with a little tube on the top. You connect a hose to that, and it doesn't do anything. It's pretty useless. There are overarm guards that actually do do something. If you can connect like a four inch hose to it and you can connect it to your dust collection system and it maintains that diameter for a good long time, maybe reduces right before it gets to the hood, 
then you got a shot at something that actually might do some decent dust collection. The one I have just isn't a good candidate for it. It's a, it, the, the hole on the top should be cut away. It's a waste. Um, but if you look at like Saw Stops, uh, the one that they sell, or Excalibur is a third-party brand, um, where it's just a, a big old tube and the tube connects to a big hose, and then you got this big shroud that can go over the blade, then you have a good shot at getting that collected. All that said, it's a wood shop. So this fine coat of dust on everything, guess what? In spite of two air cleaners, an Oneida dust collection system, doing the best I can collecting dust at every single tool, there's still a fine layer of dust on everything, no matter what I do. It's always here. It's a wood shop. Sorry, Nicole. Uh-huh. I work in here. Uh-huh. So I wouldn't really stress about it too much. Um, the good thing is the dust does settle. You vacuum, then the cycle repeats, you know. So you just do the best you can. Don't get crazy about it. Got a question here from a Joey. Joey Varga. Hey, Varga. Joey. Any tips? on a 44 inch by 81 inch cutting board that will be used on a barbecue trailer. What the hell? It is walnut and hard maple. I'm guessing it's not in grain. What kind of cutting board? It's it's 44 by 81 and it's walnut and hard maple. But like orientation of the wood grain? He didn't say. I don't know. I'm assuming it's a long, is it long grain? I think it's gonna have to be. Yeah, it can't be. Cut, uh, and so we're just talking like a big old butcher block. Yeah, big, big old butcher block. What kind of tips? Uh, ew, that's big. And it's going to be used for stuff that would probably be wit. 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 I would. Uh, I would bolt that sucker down. <laughs> yeah. Because I'd be afraid that it's going to want to warp. <laughs> you know, just with uh, frequent usage. But if it's going on a trailer. Mm -hmm. um, it's probably going to get secure, just like a wood countertop inside a kitchen, you know, to, to, to some extent. Um, so, I mean, I don't really have any tips for you, but use good kiln-dried, you know, good quality material and, uh, you know, seal it up well, safely, and good luck, because that's huge. But you're basically, you're calling it a cutting board, but you're basically making a countertop mm -hmm. um, that you're going to be using for a cutting surface. Yeah. So, no specific tips, but that sounds amazing, and I would love to see a picture especially on a barbecue trailer. That's intense. Mm -hmm. Devin says, thank you for answering my question. I didn't hear it live because my four-year-old is up to his bedtime antics. We understand. That's why we waited uh, until right before the show. To give the kids to the give iPads? The, to give our kids their iPads. <laughs> yeah, they get an hour and uh, that's their hour. <laughs> that's why the door hasn't opened yet. <laughs> yeah, do we understand it for sure. Um, okay, Ben's Woodcraft. Ben! I got a stupid question. When cutting a board on a table saw, I've heard many people say you're not supposed to reach around the blade. My understanding of table saw safety has always been about maintaining control of the workpiece. That makes sense. Uh, during the cut. So it would seem like reaching around the blade is necessary for some cuts. Please explain before I accidentally cut off my hand. Mm. Okay. My on-paper public answer to this is you never reach around the blade. Right? Makes sense. You yeah, have, you got why, a spinning blade. Yeah, no way. You're pushing it. You go like this. No, no, no. Now, here's what can happen. If the board decides to kick back and come back at you, a lot of times, and this is where people, what they think they can do under duress and what they actually do are two different things. When your hand is on something and that something moves lightning fast, it's actually really hard to prevent your hand from going with it. Okay, mm. so that's what you're uh, up against. You're, you're pushing, and then this thing shoots back at you, and now your hand comes across the blade. That's my official answer. My unofficial answer, and you should all stop listening right now. Then don't say it. Is that I often do me. that. <laughs> there are times, and I did it today, because I had a big eight-quarter board that I'm pushing through. And it was a precise cut. I needed it to be perfect. Sometimes with boards like that, as I'm pushing on this end, I you can't use a feather board because there's an off-cut piece. And where I need pressure is back there at the back of the fence. So as I'm pushing through, I know that my chances of kickback are incredibly minimal at this point. I've got a splitter in there. I've got full control. I will strategically throw a finger back there to act as a feather board and guide it through the cut to prevent it from pulling away from the fence. Mm -hmm. And I put safety as secondary to the quality of cut. But I make that decision 
based on 15 years of experience of doing this and knowing how that saw behaves in that situation with that piece of wood. So that's why I have my official answer, which is just don't do it. But I sometimes do it. Mm-hmm. And now you can start listening again, because I never <laughs> said that. Hey, we got a nice super chat from Peter W. Hi there. Love your channel. I'm about to purchase a router table and trying to decide between an Incra LS25 system or the Jessam table that has a TA fence. My mm-hmm. budget is about 1500 What do you, do you have a... I have the Incra. You have the Incra. Uh, well, rest assured, Peter, you're going to get a great system with both of them. If you are looking at the Incra, I suspect you like their uh, micro adjustability. Can you look up the Jessam set yeah, he was yeah, talking yeah. about? Because yeah, yeah. I haven't seen Jessam's stuff in a while. I used to have a Jessam. They're great. In fact, the Incra, I believe, has a rebranded Jessam lift in it. So they're doing something right. But if you want that micro adjustability, I actually favor the Incra. That's what I've got. Um, I like having that feature. Just being able to turn that knob and tick, T-A. tick, tick. T-A, not, so not what, E-A. What I want to make sure is that the Jessam does not have that same sort of micro adjustable feature. That's the Jessam. Well, look at that fence. Oh, that's a doozy, huh? Well, all I can say is I don't know what that fence does. So if that also has micro adjustability, like the Incra, um, you're gonna be fine either way. Jessam makes a great product. Incra makes a great product. They're both great. I bet you that's the answer he did not want. <laughs> he, he wanted something definitive. Yeah. <laughs> I get so many people going, uh, what wood do you recommend for the new workbench? And Somebody just asked how much how much board f- feet. Like 70 is my minimum, but I don't have the exact number. I think it's like 70-ish board feet, minimum of eight quarter. That'll be closer to December when it's released. Where he'll hammer well, that what I need down. to do is I got to get Brian to do the plans. Mm-hmm. Then Brian has a really good way of estimating the board feet that's accurate for the user. Mine is just like I strictly took my cut list and did the math, and that's not always going to give you a shoppable number, if that makes any sense. But anyway, back to his router table, tables. They're both going to be great. I, I think they both make great products. There you go. If I didn't have an Incra, I would have a Jessam. My last Sebastian? question. Yeah, Sebastian says, I'm in the middle of a major renovation project, redoing the kitchen and the living room. I need to empty these rooms during the project, so I have no choice other than to rent a pod container and store some things in the driveway for about six weeks. The container is weatherproof, but there's no humidity control. I'm going to make this short. He's asking, should he store his furniture, good quality furniture, inside this high humidity environment? Mm. The house is at 55% right now. It's, I think he says he's in Montreal. But outside, it would be about 70% humidity, so a 20% difference. So he's wondering if that's going to be a problem. Well, it could be. I mean, you subject any furniture to high humidity and things will move and change and drawers will get stuck. Things like that will happen. But at the same time, a lot of times we design our furniture to accommodate that movement. So even if it does swell a little bit, uh, once you take it out and put it back in a normal condition, it will return to normal eventually. But that is stressing the furniture. I probably would try to avoid doing that. Now he says he can get a dehumidifier and put that Mm -hmm. in there. That's a possibility. That might be worth looking into, but you also want to be careful not to go too far the other way. Um, but it may be something where you only have to run the dehumidifier every couple of days or something like that. You just got to monitor the situation. Um, but I tend to overthink these things. There are lots of people who would say, screw it, put it in there, and it's done. Um, do you remember when Ed, back in Arizona, mm-hmm. <clears throat> so he one of my favorite... To turkey, didn't Right. He? So one of my favorite clients that um, I built for in Arizona... He had, he's like traveling all over the place and for an extended period of time, he took a couple of the pieces I made and put them in storage. The problem is a cooled storage unit in Arizona is cooled by a swamp cooler, uh, yeah. which means extremely high humidity. So he had me come out and look because the drawers were all stuck. Mm-hmm. And it was basically one of those situations where I was like, well, you're just going to have to wait. Yeah. <laughs> There's no, no reason for me to do anything to these drawers. Yeah. Uh, because it just needs to dry. so. Um, and then he also asked if he's building plywood cabinets at the time and he wants to temporarily store them in there. Is that a problem? That I don't think is a huge deal. Plywood's not going to move quite as much. I think you're okay there. But if you have some prized furniture, I don't know that I would recommend subjecting it to mm-hmm. that 20% increase. Um, it, it, could, it could cause things to destabilize, right? When I moved from California to Arizona... 
I had a, a frame and panel door front on a little toolbox that I made. Perfectly stable in California, dead flat, worked great. As soon as we moved to Arizona, it's going the other direction, getting drier, um, it just warped on me. Just that change caused it to warp and it was game over at that point. So like why stress it if you don't have to? So I'm gonna give you some <clears throat> rapid fire questions. Good, because I'm done. Um, when I say stop, you gotta stop. Are you, so you, are, are you trying to tell me not to, <laughs> not to talk so much? <laughs> How dare oh, you? Oh, you just got a from uh, a super chat. So Jorge <clears throat> says, "How much wood would a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood?" <laughs> um, I don't think a there's lot. actually an answer, but I think it's a lot. Quite a bit. Yeah. Just let them. Technical let them go. answer. All right. So here we go. Good morning, Williams Lake says. Mark, have you used reclaimed wood on any of your projects? You've been a big inspiration for our side business. Uh, check out Robin's Nest Creations. Sounds great. I will. Re reclaimed wood. Not uh, really. Not really. You take, you build something and you say, I don't like that. I'm going to tear it apart and make something else from it. The table to the... Yeah, but that's not reclaimed. I mean, you reclaimed it. <laughs> Just FYI, you made this question longer. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, when I was in Arizona, Porter Barnwood was um, a great company that I would go and hang out and see what cool stuff they had. I got some samples from them. Man, they had some incredible material, but I actually just have not. Um, I tend to be too much of a perfectionist to work with reclaimed material too much. I want stuff to look clean, and I need thickness to get there. Um, so I tend to buy my wood new, but that's just my personality flaw. And isn't there, like, sometimes you can find weird stuff like nails? Oh, if you're and... working reclaimed, you better have a metal detector and know mm -hmm. what you're getting into because there could certainly be problems. Yep. Devin Jones, I was happy to find your channel as I... Uh, got into woodworking and was super jazzed to later find out you were in Denver. So where do you get your wood? I'm Austin very, Hardwoods. I'm very close to Paxton Lumber. Paxton is great too. Austin Hardwoods is my personal favorite. Uh, we work with them all the time and they just have a great selection. Great people there. Nothing uh, bad to say yep. about them, but Paxton's the other big name. And if you're on Facebook, we have a Denver Woodworkers group. And the first post is an Excel spreadsheet that uh, I have been cultivating for many years now. Because there's also... Years. A lot of local, mm -hmm. just like mom Arborist. and pop type place. Yeah. yeah. Some that... You find some good stuff. Yeah. So, really good Facebook group. None of them uh, look like Matt Cremona, though. It's always disappointing <laughs> yes. to me. Uh, Robert Spear, I got, I got a Parks 4x12 planer from the 80s, and I'm looking to upgrade the blades. Are there any knife options that are worth looking at other than helical he heads? Well, there are lots of knives out there. Um, but if you're looking at replacing the whole head or replacing your knives. Uh, so yeah, I mean, helical heads, there's different brands that you could look into, different types of spiral heads. But I think if you're going to make that big jump, and it's hard to go against a helical mm -hmm. head. They're just so easy to, to, once they're in there and calibrated, just swapping out the little, uh, little knife inserts, rotating them. It's, it's fantastic. And they're so durable. Um, so I mean, there may be other things, but I would just recommend going helical. Doyle made. I'm late in joining. Is there? Oh, I already asked about the rough estimate of the hardware attached. Oh, mm -hmm. a rough a rough estimate to the hardware attached to the hybrid board. I thought he said he wanted square feet of the boards. Uh, if you go to the sales page, everything I used on it, at least that I could remember, I may have missed a couple things. It's right there. Yep. All the prices are well. The prices aren't on the, the page, links. but the links are there. Go look at the prices. It's all pretty darn cheap. I put the I pinned the link to the hybrid workbench in the chat. Yeah. Uh, one of my vices, I think, was like 75, and the other was like 140 or 150 or something like that. Uh, question from, is it Juliano? Juliano? Where? Right there. Juliano? Juliano. Uh, do you like the Shaper Origin? Sure. What have you done with it? This. He, you can't see it. You can't see it. But go to my Instagram and you'll see it. Um, I just did an engraving on my workbench as it's made in Voyage. And uh, that's about it. I mean, I did some test stuff. I went through one of their courses. It's an amazing piece of technology. It's, it's really slick. It's a lot of fun. And um, what I'm trying to wrap my head around is what is its place in this woodworker realm that we all play in? Because it's not a replacement for a CNC in terms of what a like true CNC machine can do. But it's so much more capable in other ways that it, I'm just, to me, the technology mm. is mind-blowing. It's absolutely mind-blowing. So I love it. And and every time I do this, because I know a lot of people, it's hard to tell whether they got one for free. Are they being mm. paid? Is it an ad? You can't tell. 
Um, just for disclosure reasons, I paid for it. I just I didn't want to look. I'm getting to a didn't point in my career. Didn't want to owe anybody anything. <laughs> I'm at a point in my career where I don't want to owe anybody crap. Like yeah. <laughs> if I want to buy something, I want to buy it. And you know what? If I want to tell you that it's the stupidest thing in the world, I want to be free to tell you that. So you're going to find me doing a lot of this lately moving forward. Um, you know, just even if I could get something for free, trying to, you know, buy it instead just so that I could be, just so I don't have to be beholden to anybody for anything. <laughs> Other than Nicole going, just, why did you spend $6,000 on a bandsaw? It's like, so we had our, our 15 year anniversary <sighs> on, I think it was Sunday. So yeah, it was Sunday. So yeah. October 10th, 2006 is when Mark did his first video. Um, and Mark, He's done. He's just, I'm have, over it. No. What do you mean? No Fs to give. Oh, I got plenty of Fs to give. <laughs> just with certain things. Yes. My, my tolerance. That, yeah. <sighs> look, here's what happens when you work with companies. Yes. You, like, I have never lied about my experiences with the tool. But the reality is, when you have a relationship that you need to foster, and let's say you value that relationship... There are ways to say things and you can sugarcoat things. You could leave out details. You could not lie, but you can omit information, right? So these are the things that happen. And all the people you guys watch, including us, I'm guilty of it too. Um, when, when people get tools as part of a transaction, it is so hard to really get down to the brass tacks of mm. like, what is the situation with this Even tool? with the magazines too, because there are advertisers there. So well, they always, a, they always claim... You just got to know the lens that you're They claim not to, but I'm sorry. You, like, it is only natural to not want to bite the hand that feeds you. Yeah. So, you know, as truthful as I have been, and if I've ever lied to something, please call me out on it because <laughs> I generally give the whole truth to you know the best of my ability when it comes to talking about tools. Um, but bleh, it's just getting frustrating because I don't even want to have that hook in me, mm -hmm. right? So if I want to just go get that shaper origin and if it poops out and something goes wrong or if I have a line, like here, I had a little flub on this thing. Mm -hmm. Again, go look at Instagram. If they had sent that to me and I felt like I had to show it in its best light, I would may have worded that differently. Like, well, I screwed up and I did something. No, it screwed up. It didn't find its line again. Now, whether that was user error yeah. influenced or not, I don't know. But I could just throw it out there as the 100% truth of what happened in that situation. So, I don't know. I am, you're right. I am losing Fs to give when it comes to <laughs> worrying about what companies This old man. Old man spags. <laughs> telling it like it is. Uh, and there's some changes coming up, you guys. I can't say anything because Nicole will get mad at me. But there's some changes don't coming. Don't even hint. Don't do it. There's a wind Boo TV. blowing. Boo TV. Is you that how you say it? your name? Boo TV. Boot V. Boot V. <laughs> He's in the chat. I haven't seen you in a while. Yeah, so where it's you good been? good to see you. Uh, question for long projects for slow plot. Slow pokes. Slow, slow, slow pokes like me. I'm doing the Morris chair and I... Just finished the legs. Is there any special way I should store them until I finish the rails and then the arms? Well, you know what I do? Um, I mentioned it earlier, uh, the stretch wrap. If I have parts, I mean, what's a leg gonna do? It's not, a leg's not usually gonna be a problem, but uh, parts that sit around tend to get damaged. So even just for that reason, getting a little uh, roll of stretch wrap, wrap that sucker up there, seals it up, kind of slows down any moisture exchange with the environment, and then also puts a little protective film around it. Um, it also allows you to group similar parts together so they can kind of move as one instead of a bunch of like loose parts all over the place. I've got two Philip Morley bar stools <laughs> over there that need to be finished, and all the parts are stretch wrapped sitting over there on the CNC. Where'd you get your stretch? Just Amazon or something? Uh, you can get it online. You can get it at Home, um, Home Depot. You can get it at uh, Home Depot. You know, Sam's Club or something, I'm mm -hmm. sure. Uh, Nathan says, uh, have you considered a tooltip episode discussing types of common router bits and their uses? You want me to? Okay. Okay. Sure. <laughs> that was easy. Um, boy or boy? Boy or boy? You just going to harass us till you get one? Yeah, I'll just... Can, can, okay, you got a shout out. Now shut up. <laughs> I'm just kidding. There, but there's your shout out. But you do it again, you're going to get banned. Uh, <laughs> all right. So we're well over our time. Are we? we? Okay. We did a longer episode. I regret since. giving him attention. <laughs> you say the same thing four times. You're out of here. <laughs> all right. What, what's going on now? We're going to, over to the after show. Mm. He's a big fan. You just banned a fan. You want me to unban him? Yeah, unban him. Well, stop spamming the chat, man. 
You know what you're doing. Um, All right. What else we got? We're good? That's it. We're going to head on over to the after show. We're going to talk about Far Cry 6, Ted Lasso, and the Muppets Haunted Mansion. Okay. <laughs> Sounds great. All right. Well, hey, listen. Uh, so sorry about the big long break between shows. We'll try not to do that again. Um, but we hope you enjoyed it. Yeah. And we if you're, will see you later, I guess. If you are a Patreon subscriber, I'm putting the link to the Patreon post so you can easily get to the after show video. If you are a YouTube supporter, just head on over to our YouTube page under the community tab. There is a link to the after show video there. Yes. <laughs> boy, oh boy, is, I'm sorry. Is that Mateo? No. I know. <laughs> He's acting like my son yeah. is what's happening here with Boyer Boyer Boy. Okay. <laughs> let let boy your boy go free. <laughs> All right, we'll see you guys in the after show. Have a wonderful weekend. Toodles. Thanks for hanging out with us. You noodles. <laughs>